0: The hour to which the podcast adjourned having arrived, the podcast is now in order.
1: Let's gather in for this week's State House Takeout with the reporters on top of Beacon Hill at the State House News Service. Here's Sam Doran.
0: Well, buckle up. It seems we're looking ahead to a busy fall on Beacon Hill with Topics ranging from housing production to education funding. And here to talk about all that this week is Colin A. Young, Katie Lennon, and Chris Lesinski. Hi, folks.
2: Happy almost fall.
0: Well, the Statehouse came back alive this week, although uh, formal sessions haven't yet resumed in the legislature. Lawmakers are back on the hill. Committee hearings have brought crowds to the building this week. The air does feel like fall today, and these brisk temperatures uh, just make us feel ready to shake the sand off of our feet and prepare for some serious policy discussion this fall. Now, one might ask, how do you get ready for fall? You might pull out your fall jacket from the closet or pull out the rake to get ready for those leaves. Uh, the, Baker <laughs> the Baker administration pulled out a bunch of former housing secretaries. Uh, they're renewing their push, Katie, for passage of the governor's uh, housing production bill zoning reform, Uh, which he first floated back in 2017. Uh, This week, the emphasis was on the urgency that it really needs to get done this fall, the administration said.
3: Yeah, that's right, Sam. As the old saying goes, you can't wear white after Labor Day, but you can fill a room with a bunch of former cabinet secretaries. (laughs) At least that's how I've always heard it, and I I won't accept it any other way. So (laughs) we were in that room with those bunch of former cabinet officials and some current ones this week as as they stressed the idea that this is an an urgent matter, the governor's zoning reform bill. Um, and that's kind of timeline sense of urgency from the administration isn't new. You know, I think it was last fall, last winter that we heard the the governor talking then about how if we got the bill over the finish line that season, it would be ready for the 2019 spring town meeting season they could start making those zoning changes now we're looking at the the 2020 spring town meeting season mm. but the idea is still the same they they want it passed this year to accomplish that to be in place and of course when you're talking about the legislative calendar getting something done this year at this point means getting it done before the Thanksgiving recess. So in the remaining 10, 11 weeks or so of formal sessions until January.
0: And uh, Governor Baker on Wednesday uh, talked about how heartbreaking it was, uh, he said, to watch uh, local projects failing this year without the passage of of, of that reform bill.
3: Yeah, that's right. He's uh, repeatedly identified a particular project in Salem that met that 50% majority threshold but didn't get enough support to reach the two-thirds threshold. Of course, his bill would knock the threshold down to a simple majority. And and he does point out that Salem project a lot because Salem Mayor Kim Driscoll is a big supporter of this bill, as are, are several uh, mayors and other municipal leaders out there who, who want to find a way to build more housing in their communities.
0: And these officials like... Um former economic development secretary, Ranch Kimball, who served under Mitt Romney. These these officials painted a a dire picture of housing in Massachusetts, um... Uh, Secretary Kimball said that he's um, emotionally afraid, I think was the phrase he used. uh, Emotionally frightened. Emotionally frightened as he looks at the uh, potential future of Massachusetts.
3: Yeah, I had asked Secretary Kimball, who, you know, served, as you said, Sam, under Governor Romney, I believe his his service as economic development secretary. It was Deval Patrick who made it housing and economic development secretary. Um, but Secretary Kimball was in office from about 2004 to 2007, so I, I asked him what he's seen change in terms of housing in Massachusetts since then, and he he did say he thinks the situation's gotten worse. It's become harder and, and more extreme in the housing market, and he, he said, you know, New England is a... Massachusetts has long prided itself on its downtowns, and, and he's seen, you know, other cities and, and countries kind of take our, our recipe, he called it, and double it while while we're letting it fall by the wayside here. And and one of the things that supporters of this bill say is that it would help uh, facilitate the cre- creation of denser housing in, in downtown areas. Katie, what's uh, what's been
0: holding up this uh, proposal?
3: Well, one of the things we saw last year is that there are some, some progressive lawmakers who say it's not comprehensive enough who want You know, who take the approach that if the legislature is going to vote on a housing bill, they should vote on a comprehensive housing package with affordability protections built in there. But then you also kind of on the more quiet end of the spectrum, there are are lawmakers who represent, you know, some suburbs, some communities with less dense housing who who aren't necessarily excited about the prospect of making it easier for bigger developments to come in. Um, so there's a couple different types of concerns out there, despite the consensus from a lot of advocacy groups behind the bill. And the governor's this week started referring to it as a, a Goldilocks approach. Some might say it's too big. Some might say it's too small. He says it's just right.
0: Just strike the middle middle ground there. Yep. All right. Uh, have we gotten any indication that this might actually uh, come up in the fall in the branches?
3: It did get a, a hearing pretty early this year, which is always a, an indicator that something could be done on the, on the sooner side, first year of the session, but no, uh, no commitments that I'm aware of to, to bring it to the floor in a particular time frame.
0: All right. Well, one of the most active legislative committees this summer and, and and probably still going to be one of the most active this fall, it would seem, is the Transportation Committee, who spent a good deal of the summer uh, in the thick of investigating that RMV scandal, uh, requesting documents from the Baker administration, Chris, and, 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 and really weighing in on that uh, with an oversight hearing. Um, and that was after uh, their talks on a distracted driving ban had gone right up until the end of formal sessions, July 31st. First, Those talks broke down. But um, let's let's start off with that, Chris. Uh, What are the um, have those talks continued over the summer? And and what are the chances that we see some kind of a a, a compromise come up? Because they were really, really close on uh, on an agreement on that bill.
2: Yeah, they were really, really close. Uh, both chairs on the House and Senate side said they had an agreement in principle, but uh, the Senate raised some concerns over the language that was used in a version that the House says had already been approved by legal counsel in both branches, and that's roughly about where we still stand something like six weeks after that, uh, those negotiations broke down. Um, I, I just spoke to one of the chairs, Senator Joseph Boncori, today, and he was... Uh, um, And he didn't offer too much insight into where things stand, just reiterating again that the conference committee's work is confidential and that uh, both sides remain committed to seeing something passed. So we haven't really gotten much of an indication at all what, if anything, has shifted on that. We're kind of
0: still at the same point that we started at, at least uh, in terms of what's publicly available. Sure. And as we look ahead to what might possibly happen, just remind us, um, what was the ultimate cause of? Of that breakdown in negotiations
2: something to do with language. I wish I could be more specific than (laughs) that. I've been trying to get a more specific answer than that and trying to report that out. But that is what we keep running into, uh, some sort of concern that Senate members, remember, there's three senators and three representatives uh, talking about this bill behind closed doors. There's something about the enforceability of the language that the Senate members were concerned with. And given that the uh, 2010 ban on texting while driving is all but unenforceable, even according to police officials, because of how it's worded. They want to make sure that whatever they do produce and get out there gets done right.
0: And Colin, that big crowd up here at the State House on Wednesday was here for a Transportation Committee hearing um, on a proposal to allow undocumented immigrants in Massachusetts to apply for state-issued driver's licenses. Um, there didn't seem to be a whole lot of opposition uh, publicly voiced at the hearing.
1: N- no, there wasn't uh, a ton of it. There, there certainly is opposition to it, and, and, and the one uh, real uh, opposition voice that spoke at the hearing this week was Bristol County Sheriff Tom Hawley. Hodgson, uh, who uh, got up and, and, and spoke in opposition for uh, about 10 minutes, and the whole while most of the crowd in Gardner Auditorium was uh, sort of booing and hissing uh, the sheriff, who certainly um, uh, made uh, inflammatory comments about immigration uh policy before, and who's really tried to interject himself in some of the national debate over immigration. Uh, so some of these supporters of this legislation say that what they're really trying to do here is separate driving policy from immigration policy. Uh, and they're saying that, that this would benefit everyone in the Commonwealth, because uh, the Many of the roughly 185,000 undocumented immigrants in Massachusetts are already driving. I spoke with one uh, immigrant who is uh, undocumented in Massachusetts uh, named Alberto, and he said that he has been in the United States for 18 years and he's been driving for 17 of those years because he works two jobs and he lives outside of the T's um, network, so he has to take his kids to school or to their uh, appointments, play dates, and the like, and get himself to, to and from work. Uh, and he says he wants the opportunity to take driver's head and to become an educated and trained driver uh, and – he will also have to buy insurance and become an insured driver. Uh, and uh, the proponents of this legislation argued that that will make everyone in the state safer.
0: Mm. Yeah, actually, a, um, a Republican on the panel uh, asked a question to the effect of how would passing this bill affect road safety in Massachusetts? And the answer from one of the advocates was it would ensure that more drivers on the roads are, are trained and, and, and properly licensed. And Chris, coming up on October 8th, we're going to have a hearing on the governor's $18 billion uh, borrowing bill to uh, pump more money into transportation infrastructure. Uh, that'll mean millions more dollars for the MBTA if it's passed, as filed. Chris, what are what are some of the other highlights uh, contained in that bill? It's not just the MBTA, though that's obviously a big focus, given uh, a lot of the public scrutiny that's been
2: on the Transit Authority in recent months and years and decades. Um uh, this, this bill would, you know, bring hundreds of millions of dollars more into programs that help fund uh, road paving at the state and local level both together. Um, one of the bigger things in this uh, is a proposal of the governor uh, included in this bond bill to launch a tax credit program to help promote working from home or telecommuting. Uh, This would offer businesses $2,000 in tax credits per employee that they basically permit to do all of their work for that employer from their homes. Uh, The goal there is to get fewer people commuting to work so that congestion on the roadways is helped a little bit. That being said, there's a, a cap on that program, so it's not something that every business and every employee across the state could benefit from. Another thing included in that bill uh, on the longer term end is uh, language that would, once the Transportation Climate Initiative, that multi-state partnership that's looking to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, actually gets up and running with a sort of revenue program that's probably going to look something like a, a cap and trade, uh, if this bill's language is adopted. Half of the revenue that Massachusetts gets from that would go directly to uh, public transit.
0: Now, Chris, this fall, we're also looking ahead to some, not necessarily looking forward to, but looking <laughs> ahead to. Um, Speak for yourself. Uh, yeah. Some, uh, some station shutdowns on the MBTA uh, as they work to accelerate um, uh, work on, on the transit system. What's up with that bill that uh, the governor filed back in June, was it, Uh, with $50 million for uh, T-improvements? very little uh, to this point. Since the governor filed that back in
2: June, it is just sitting and pending and waiting to be heard so that it can then move on to the full legislature for a vote. Um, I remember back when that was filed, the House Speaker said that it seemed like a good idea, but expressed a little bit of skepticism at the time. If this was exactly the right approach, called instead for longer term funding options rather than just a one time $50 million injection to boost up transportation spending and that takes us into another thing we're waiting for this fall which is this kind of kind of still vague debate on transportation revenue more broadly
0: yeah indications are that the um, house will be looking this fall at revenue options uh, funding options for the transportation infrastructure going forward um there's a couple of routes they could go. There's some divergent ideas uh, out there. And, and we've heard quite strongly from the Raise Up Coalition on one side and uh, from some business groups on the other side, like uh, Associated Industries of Massachusetts and the uh, High Tech Council. Uh, where, where might things end up landing there?
2: I hate to keep coming back to the same refrain, but I I think that we're still waiting to see exactly what shape this is going to take. Uh, Every time that the Speaker has um, brought this up over the past six months or so, he's mentioned that um, the House is committed to exploring a wide range of options and that everything's on the table. Uh, Democratic leadership hasn't ruled any one particular strategy out of bounds yet, including raising the gas tax, which, remember, was something the the legislature did a few years ago, only to watch uh language indexing it to inflation get repealed at the ballot box just a single year later.
0: Right.
3: Yeah, Chris makes a, a good point here in that really what we've been hearing from from legislative leadership and people involved in this talks is really an interest in in looking at everything that that phrase he mentioned, everything's on the table. That is the one that keeps getting used, but there haven't been uh many specifics put out on that yet. I will I will note the gas tax, like Chris said. Is one thing that kind of keeps coming up in the broader dialogue, it's not, no one's specifically said, yes, we're going to do the gas tax, but it, it seems to always be a part of these discussions. And it, it is, you know, worth noting that we are on average paying less for gas in Massachusetts right now than we were at this point last year. So that might be a, a kind of factor in that discussion that if, you know, if prices are lower, maybe there's more room to tax.
0: Sure, more appetite for pursuing a a solution like that. Not even so much on
2: an idea, but we're still waiting for even the broad outlines of what this debate is going to look like to emerge. All we've heard is sometime this fall. We haven't been given a date. We don't know if the debate's going to come on an existing piece of legislation or on an entirely new bill that has yet to be filed. So I think that uh, us in the press corps and advocates who are really interested in this are really just waiting for a lot of
0: answers to come out before this debate unfolds. Sure, a lot more unknowns than knowns. And another one of those um, closed door discussions this summer has been over funding for education and as we think back to july thirty first that final day of formal sessions, a bunch of advocates for education funding reform were out in front of the state house, tossing a beach ball around, um trying to draw attention to the fact that lawmakers were going on vacation without first tackling. Ed funding. Um, and Katie, I know we've, we've seen a lot of the principals around the hallway this summer. Nevertheless, uh, education uh, uh, chairs, uh, commissioner, secretary, and um, think something might pop this fall?
3: I mean, there's there, there have been kind of moving goalposts on this one. Um, there are a lot of timelines that have been thrown out there um, and people... Big picture kind of advocates. There was a lot of talk early on about, you know, sh- there were people who believe that something should be done before the start of school this school year. Um, that, that wasn't the case. The bill hasn't emerged. We haven't seen what, what the committee's planning to craft there. But as much as people have put out kind of individual goal dates, the, the consensus from people in charge of getting this done has pretty much been we'll do it this year. Um, that's what we've heard from the, the Senate president to name one person, is that there there is confidence that they'll get it done this year. Um, and, and like we said, this year means this fall at this point. So that that's yeah, really another wait and see for us. We've got about
0: 10 weeks to go, I, I
3: suppose. <laughs> Oh, well, when you put it that way, it doesn't sound like that much time, but I know <laughs> there'll be a, a lot of time. A lot for lawmakers to be doing in those next 10 weeks. Huh. Also, some conversations going on this summer still
0: uh, with lawmakers and officials about the governor's uh, so called dangerousness uh, bill. Um, and we know that back in, what was it, June, uh, Speaker DeLeo said that they had planned that week back in June to take up a Piece of the governor's dangerousness bill that never ended up uh, surfacing in the House, but maybe uh, that m- might come up this fall.
3: Yeah, th- that's one of one of a handful of bills we're going to be, I think, keeping our eyes peeled for. We know there's uh, there's interest too in doing something this session on guns, and that was a a topic that got an August hearing, a, an unusual August hearing. Right. So. Be looking for uh, things that have been mentioned, things that had early hearings. Uh, the plastic bag ban bill is is one thing some some groups are talking about. So there's a there's a lot out there that could move.
0: Yeah, and uh, to finish up the week this Friday afternoon, we've got a closeout supplemental budget.
3: That's right, six hundred and fifty-one million dollars addressing the uh, twenty nineteen surplus. Sure.
0: Any, uh, any highlights uh, jump out to you from there? I, I know that uh, we've all just gotten it in our inboxes.
3: Well, one thing that we've, uh, we've written about so far this morning is that there's some money to address drinking water contamination. Um, there's some, some infrastructure money in there. There's a proposal to, to drop the income tax rate down to 5% a little bit earlier than otherwise scheduled. So it looks like there'll be a, a lot in there for the respective Ways and Means committees to chew over. <laughs> All right. Happy fall, folks. Have a great weekend.
1: Statehouse Takeout is a production of the State House News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.